0: episode of Juicing the Numbers, your entertainment (laughs) podcast Um, for Monday. I am your host, Joshua Tracy,
1: and I'm Corbin Heller.
0: And today we're not talking about sports kinda a little bit. Um, As we mentioned in Thursday's episode, we'll be shifting today's topic to doing some movies and shit. And uh, so, if you didn't listen to Thursday's episode, you're fucking confused. If you did, then you know that today we're talking about Moneyball, which was my film choice for the week, and uh, Good Time, which is Corwin's film choice for the week.
1: Corwin, are you ready? Uh, I don't know yet. We'll find out. If anyone here has listened to our first ever podcast i feel like this is going to be in a similar vein of we don't know what we're doing yet because this is different for us
0: yeah no it's gonna be weird it is gonna be weird um
1: (laughs) i like getting weird with you josh
0: let's make it freaky and fun so (laughs) moneyball came out in 2011 um it is a picture starring brad pitt um jonah hill Amongst others, such as Philip Seymour Hoffman, Bobby Kotick, who, plays... who? Uh,
1: the guy who plays the owner of the Oakland Athletics is Bobby Kotick, who is the CEO of Activision, who produces like uh, all the Call of Duty games, and like they're they're a really old game company that
0: did not is very that. well known.
1: Yeah, so like when I was watching the movie again, I forgot about that little fact, and I just looked at him and was like, I know who that person is i just can't possibly name like put a put a name to that face so i I had to pause the movie and do some research
0: okay um yeah it's got him uh also robin wright starring as uh brad pitt aka billy bean's ex-wife and chris pratt's breakout role the film Mm -hmm. the 2011 film just in case i forgot to mention the age was nominated for six different oscars (laughs) Uh, Those are Best Motion Picture of the Year, Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role for Brad Pitt, Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role for Jonah Hill, Best Achievement in Film Editing for Christopher Tellefson, Best Achievement in Sound Mixing for A Bunch of Dudes, and uh, Best Writing Adapted Screenplay for Several Dudes. Um, And it didn't win a single one of them, but it certainly was nominated. Um, Corbin, when did you watch this movie the first time?
1: oh man probably when it came out shortly after it came out i know i didn't see it in theaters but it was probably a movie i rented the second it was available
0: i actually did watch this in theaters i watched it with a high school girlfriend of mine because i was really no 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 not not naming names um uh because i was just so excited there was a baseball movie and uh you know that when you're in high school and you're dating going to the movies is one of like the three acceptable dates so oh yeah
1: i think that was every date i had in high school
0: i I mean like what the fuck else really is there so
1: hey babe want to go get drinks over at the vending machine
0: yeah you you go to the 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 shitty cheap chinese food restaurant and then you get (laughs) you go to the the shitty cheap movie theater like that's all there (laughs) fucking was uh this is like the breakout movie for chris pratt like it's this movie predates the success of his career so much that I didn't realize he was in it after I knew who he was.
1: Yeah. It was, it was always one of those things where when Chris, what, like after this, what was Chris Pratt's breakout role? Was it Parks and Rec?
0: I, I would say Parks and Rec.
1: I would too. And I think I knew, I don't remember when Parks and Rec came out. I know I watched it at the time, but i definitely watched this after i started watching parks and rec most likely and was like oh shit that's andy dwyer so what's funny
0: is parks and rec came out in 09 but like it still feels like this movie somehow predated parks and rec because Mm -hmm. i really don't remember him being a thing when when moneyball came out but i guess he was um sure uh the director, Bennett Miller, just to keep naming off some facts before we get to the actual movie, because I really like Bennett Miller. Uh, he's also directed Capote, the Truman Capote documentary, or um, not documentary, uh, biopic. Mm-hmm. Uh, his second film was Moneyball. His third film was Foxcatcher. All very familiar films if you are um, if you live in, in this space. Well, Foxcatcher was great. Uh, so, Bennett Miller also uh, just a very, very very good filmmaker, and his mm-hmm. apparently has a film uh, about not about, but an adaptation of A Christmas Carol coming out, which I am excited for. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care. I love him.
1: Um, Just some more facts while we're talking about it. The guy who plays Robin Wright's husband, uh, I guess. Uh, oh,
0: it's Mike Jones. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Completely catches me off guard every time I watch it, because I know him from Jackass, as Wait, I feel I- a lot of people do. Wait, what? Spike Jones was a producer for Jackass and was in all the Jackass movies. That's how I know Spike Jones. Really? Yeah. Like, I am used to him doing, like, stupid shit behind the scenes of Jackass. And, like, seeing him outside of that has always been like, oh, this is a real guy with a career outside of pulling fucking pranks with Jeff Tremaine and Johnny Knoxville?
0: That's so funny because I always think of him as being the director of like being John Malkovich and her. Right.
1: Right. So like I started watching Jackass when I was in like middle school, like back when the TV show was on TV. Of course. So like when her came out, I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's probably Spike Lee or some other different person. That's not the same dude I'm talking about or I'm thinking about.
0: Damn, I had no idea. Yeah, man. That's so weird. Um. Okay. Oh, I
1: can't, um. I, do you I, remember in Jackass when they had like the guy dress up as a really old woman? Yeah. That's Spike Jones.
0: Oh my god! Oh, oh yeah. wow! I need to rewatch Jackass now, which I didn't think I'd ever say. Um,
1: I also I also remember him from Three Kings, that George Clooney yep. and Ice Cube movie. Yes, that's one
0: I remember of, that's that movie. One of my favorite
1: movies. I love it. It's just it has so much heart. But yeah, let's focus on Moneyball
0: so where to begin with this um i guess let's start with the 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 actual topic of the film which is generally speaking the 2002 oakland a's and their really impressive run in that season um Mm -hmm. what's your recollection or impression of uh this period in time
1: i have absolutely i was like four years old when this was happening so i have absolutely no recollection of it um, uh,
0: I have a very loose recollection of it I was about eight I you know I remember the Twin Towers going down the year before and I remember this 2002 was the year I my family moved I remember that um, And I have like a loose recollection of like Yankees teams from that generation because um, you know Jared Jeter was still there and the core four was all still there
1: mm-hmm. um, was uh Johnny Damon and Jason Giambi there
0: no, Damon. Damon was was uh, still well. Uh, sorry, Jason Giambi was, but John Damon at this point was still on the Red Sox.
1: Um,
0: um, as it was discussed in the film,
1: very high points in the movie, or points of topic in the
0: movie. Um. So tell me what your overall impression is of of this movie. What are some of the big takeaways for you?
1: Um. Overall, my feeling towards this film is this is far and away my favorite baseball movie. And is top two, at the very least, all-time sports movies. What's uh, the other one? Slapshot, hockey movie oh, with movie. Um, uh, Paul Newman.
0: Really good. Um,
1: movie. I'm sorry?
0: Re- really good movie.
1: Oh, yeah. It's just one of the funniest movies ever. This is definitely a different tone, which is why I kind of feel like it's okay to have both in there. Um it's something where I could probably watch this once a week and still enjoy it. Like it's just one of those movies. If it's on TV, you gotta watch it. it's It's a slow burn that you never really get bored during. Um, it's a movie about baseball statistics that is absolutely intriguing in every scene. Uh, I you know, as a film itself, I have very few qualms with, almost none. Uh, and I'll say this is probably my favorite Brad Pitt character, um, and I would honestly like you to prove me wrong.
0: Uh, well, character, his character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like the most Brad Pitt thing in the universe. So, this is close.
1: Yeah. But is, I, I also if Brad Pitt played baseball, this would be his his guy.
0: Um One, one of my notes uh, that I, I wrote down here was, damn, Brad Pitt looks like a baseball player. <laughs> uh, and he really, and I believe he's a big baseball fan. I believe he's a big St. Louis Cardinals fan, being from the general St. Louis area. Um, anyway, what the fuck was like? Yeah, this movie I think is really so. First off, it's based off of a book. It's based off of the book Moneyball by Michael Lewis, who is a um writer, but with like a a journalism background. So the 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 book goes a little bit more into like the Bill James side of stuff, which. Gets touched on in the movie, but not really mm-hmm. like heavily discussed because it's not part of the quote unquote plot. Uh, what I think this movie does really well is show how emotional and cold uh, s- baseball and the uh, front office side of baseball can be. It's got the very obvious emotional heartstring stuff with Brad Pitt trying to like be a good dad and. Like learn how to grow as a person, and and try not to get stuck down in the malaise of like a perpetually okay ball club, and doing things the same way, and trying to not play the same game that the Yankees and Red Sox are playing because those right. two teams can always outspend them. Um And it does a good job of of just kind of demonstrating uh, of, of being the normal movie that all movies are trying to be, while also touching on and getting into a lot of like the stats stuff of it which is nice.
1: Yeah, I think it does a really great job of highlighting the just thought different like the thought process between this new age analytic side of baseball and traditional baseball thinking and Aaron Sorkin is a, is one of the screenplay writers for this which I just learned on this rewatch and explains so many reasons why I like this movie so much, because the writing and the dialogue is near perfect, uh, very Sorkin-esque. But just some of these lines between uh, Peter Brand, uh, Joan Hill's Hill's character and Brad Pitt's character, Billy Bean, and the rest of of the old white scouts and Art Howe, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, just old crusty, baseball players and the old crusty baseball thinkers. And this new age is really cool to see. Um, I wrote down a bunch of them that we could talk about now. We could talk about later. Yeah. Um, Let's
0: get into it now. Real, real quick before we do, I also wrote, um, love the look of the scouting room, old and white. (laughs) And, uh, all of those dudes playing scouts are actually old scouts. Really? None of them are actors. Yeah.
1: That, makes it so much better and you could definitely tell this is something that they do. Uh, oh yeah. This they look the part. Like we'll talk about it when we get uh into a good time later, but you know how the Safties always the safety brothers always have these really great interesting characters that just somehow look weird as shit but they fit the part so perfectly. Yeah. That entire room is just on point.
0: Oh, that, that whole room is including mm-hmm. the people like perfect set design
1: mm-hmm. and like
0: are just oh, their furniture. They're the best them
1: kind of furniture. talking about like seriously talking about uh, a prospect and arguing over how good he is capable of being in his confidence because he has a hot and or ugly girlfriend, which yeah. I could totally picture that being a topic of conversation inside one of these baseball war rooms.
0: His girlfriend's a six at best.
1: Yeah, he's got no confidence, no confidence. Um, what are some
0: of these quotes you have?
1: Let's see. Um, <laughs> later on in the movie when they're trying to basically recruit Brad Pitts or not Brad Pitt, um, Christopher Pratt's character, into coming back, switching from catcher to pitcher, that entire back and forth about come play first base, it's super easy, uh, tell him Wash, and he just goes, it's incredibly hard. Just that character has so many perfect one-liners. That is probably one of my favorites. Um, Brad Pitt's just speech um, when the team's not playing so well, and he goes, you may not look like a winning team, but you are one. So play like one tonight. All-time worst speeches in sports history. I know it's meant to be, but... Man, that was tough to sit through. Just because I can't do awkward in TV or in movies, and it was it was tough to be there uh, to listen to that.
0: Plus that awkward little fist pump he had thing. Oh yeah, you yeah. can tell it's
1: like there's no way Brad Pitt would give a speech like that, and he was cringing at himself having to do it. And he 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 did it well because you know he's Brad Pitt. Um chris pratt talking to david justice about his biggest fear being uh being afraid of balls hit anywhere near him um just it stood out because that just felt like chris pratt talking about himself and it was just so naturally hilarious uh, yeah. and, then, and also
0: own. something i can 100 percent see um several baseball players thinking
1: oh my god yeah Clint um,
0: Frazier looking at you <laughs>
1: Greg Bird for some reason. I just feel like that could be him perfectly.
0: Oh uh, no, that's being that's balls being pitched in this general direction. <laughs>
1: uh, and then my all-time favorite scene is when they're at the trade deadline and Jonah Hill's just wearing that Oakland A's cap looking at Brad Pitt on the phone and then just clenches his fist and or crunches his hand into a fist. Um love that. Just a perfect shot. Just encapsulating what it's like to land a big trade, as I know in my vast experience as a fantasy baseball manager um, and also the general manager of the Oakland Athletics. So, you know, it's this just... Movie, it, there's just so many great moments in this.
0: There there are, and it's also... It's such a compact... I know it's not a, a compact movie in terms of actual length. I think it runs right around two hours. Um, so it, it's definitely longer than, like, a regular what we think of as minimum length, feature length film of, of, of 90 minutes, but Mm -hmm. it really does fit a lot into what happens. It gives you through pretty minimalized or minimalistic flashbacks. It gives you a brief summation of who Billy Bean is. And in fact, that could be a much longer or much more in depth part of the film than they, than they chose for it to be, which is fine. It didn't really need to be too, all too much for anyone unaware. Billy Bean was drafted. Um, uh, not i guess yeah drafted right right out of high school and went to go join the mets organization where he struggled mightily um how how many how many baseball games do you think he played for the new york mets on a professional level
1: oh i know it's not a lot um give me a guess uh a hundred 13 no kidding
0: 13 games he played for the mets um uh, again, I'm only going based off pro numbers because that's what matters the most, the show. Um, 13 games for the Mets. Then he went uh, in 84 and 85. So it's split between two two seasons, 84 and 85. Uh, then in 86, he played for the Minnesota Twins where he played 80 games, followed by a 12-game campaign for the Twins in 87. In 1988, he played six games for Detroit. and In 1989, he played 37 games for the Oakland Athletics. Um, Oakland Athletics, who I believe won the World Series in 89, but I don't think he gets a ring for that. Uh, Anyway, and it shows him struggling throughout uh, the many phases of the Mets minor leagues, and then in the Twins, and in Detroit, and in Oakland. And he eventually uh, famously kind of quit baseball at a super young age and asked Mm -hmm. to join the front office, which there is like this very, very brief moment where it's not even in a flashback, it's just... Audio played over Brad Pitt sitting in the dugout, uh, where he, where someone, you know, you hear a voice saying, "You wanna, do want to quit baseball? You want, you want to become a scout? No one wants to do that, or some shit like that." And that, that's really what happened. That's one of the reasons Billy Bean ended up becoming such a young GM is he just worked his way up from the front office at a pretty young age, having left baseball at a young age. Um, it does a, a a really good job of of tying a lot of things together. It does a good job of going through very briefly. The history of sabermetrics, even though it didn't talk use that word in particular, by mentioning Bill James several times, who was the founder of sabermetrics, um, and it it just it it touched on so many weird. Th- like I had to mm-hmm. explain to to Cal because I watched it with her um, that you can trade anyone that has a contract with a baseball team, and that's how Jonah Hill ended up on the A's. <laughs> like if you have a contract with a major league organization, you are eligible to be traded by that team. And um Jonah Hill got traded. Yeah. To
1: that was game. one of those things when like when I first read or not read um watched the movie, I was very confused about how that had happened because that was before I got into baseball. That was before I knew what you know was going on in MLB and what things were capable or what things were possible. And it was just like I am going to assume that that is just some movie narrative loophole that they're just gonna not focus on because they're just making that seem to be they're falsifying information i guess just making that up to go with the narrative but no like that's actually how that goes
0: what are some of the uh the main themes that you think you find in this picture
1: oh boy um being just stuck in just a traditional mindset is just the death of innovation and the death of creativity and you know just because that's the way something's always been done doesn't mean that's the right way it has been done or the right way to do something it's Um,
0: overall like kind of like progress
1: yeah um, before we jump into this deeper, I just want to bring something up about things they touched on, and sure. I wish they went into this deeper. So have you read the book, Moneyball? I feel like we've talked about this.
0: Uh, I was supposed to for class in college, and then I just rewatched the movie instead because <laughs> I had better things to do. Um, All
1: right, that makes a lot of sense. But yeah. in the book, they go into you know a lot of in-depth stuff about... Um, Billy Bean coming up and like the draft process and his minor league career because he doesn't have much of a major league career like we talked about. So they focused a lot on the minors and they were between, they had the first overall pick that year, the Mets. They also had two later first round picks, 23 and 24. And they were between Billy Bean taking him first overall or another young outfielder named Daryl Strawberry. Now, they happened to take Daryl Strawberry first overall, which I assume many Mets fans are very thankful uh, that it did. But they say one of the reasons that he struggled in the minor leagues with his confidence was because he was playing next to Daryl Strawberry every single game. You know, Daryl Strawberry in uh, center field, Billy Bean playing whatever side of the outfield he played on, Um, and just the fact that Daryl Strawberry was... The Daryl Strawberry we know now from a very early age, from basically when he started in the minors, that kind of put a huge shadow on Billy Bean himself, and that's why he struggled so early on, you know, to some degree. You know, you don't know the full story unless you were there, unless you're Billy Bean. They touch on that uh, in the movie when they're talking about, you know, you can't get inside the mind of a young man and know whether or not he's going to make it. some guys just don't and that was just a really cool thing that i wish they touched on more in the movie the only sign of it is when they have one of those flashbacks uh when they have billy bean striking out in like a mets spring training game uh you see the back of daryl strawberry's jersey as he's walking up to the plate right after him
0: another uh, another note real quick on on something similar to to yeah. that is So there's a there's a there's a scene where uh, right after the trade deadline scene, Jonah Mm -hmm. Hill and Brad Pitt are like, well, fuck, now we have 26 guys on the roster. We have to bump one down to the minors. Right. And Billy Bean has to go over to uh, the pitcher whose name I forget. I thought he was a catcher. I thought he was was
1: strapping on like his catcher's gear.
0: I thought he was strapping on knee braces. But now I don't remember.
1: Yeah, it it doesn't matter.
0: He went up to a player. And was, like, going to have to tell him he was going down to the minors. And, you know, he told the guy, you got to stop suiting up. And the guy looked at him and said, am I being traded? Mm-hmm. And Billy Bean said no. And then the guy understood that he's going to get designated for a time. He's going to get sent down to the minors. And that's when he felt really bad. Because the thing is, it's so tough to make the show. Right. It's so tough to actually throw a major league inning or see a major league at bat that to get a taste of it and then to get sent back down to because it's not even just like uh like the sheer competition and luxury of the competition it's also the luxury of the actual space the clubhouse is better the transportation is better the food is better the pay is better you're getting paid an
1: actual livable wage
0: yeah and then some you'll make more in like that one game than you probably will in like two three weeks in the minors easy Mm -hmm. Um, and to have that taken away from you is really the hardest part. And that's the part I think you see Billy Bean be like the most sympathetic with a player because he did that himself. And he sat there for not like a long time, but longer than he'd been with most other players because he probably knows that conversation really well because that player would have much rather been told he got traded.
1: They do. They talk about that in the book where his approach to dealing with players came, you know, it, sprouted very much from his experiences in the minor leagues and how he felt players were mistreated and mishandled because it was just easier that way. And um, he wanted to to do right by some of these players. And you kind of see that progress through the movie about how he doesn't... The whole beginning of the movie, he doesn't talk to the players. He doesn't travel with the team. He doesn't even watch the games uh in person and then by the end he's walking to the clubhouse he's talking to these guys he's giving them personal adjustments he's coming to the games it's it's a big change and i think you know that part of that character development is very true to heart to what billy bean was as a general manager
0: and that's actually one of the the things i would have picked as my theme is communication because Mm. one of the problems that billy bean ran into and this is also one of the notes i had is that he couldn't get through to uh the manager hey fucko stop playing what how you want to play this roster's put together a certain type of way and needs to be played that way or else what i'm doing doesn't make sense and he had to learn how to spread that communication or you know communicate that down to the manager who ultimately didn't listen and that's what led to the really fun trade deadline scene um but also you then after that you get scenes of him and Jonah Hill explaining what they're trying to do to the players themselves. And that's a really big part of baseball development nowadays. Is that like it's all well and good. Like if I'm the GM of the Yankees, right? And I just cause the Yankees are my team and and and, and I um am, am benching um it doesn't fucking matter. Glaber Torres in favor of Uh, uh, Miguel and Duhar, they don't play the same position. It doesn't doesn't matter because because of X, Y, and Z, right? And it makes total sense on paper. makes total absolute sense. And maybe it even pans out in real life. But I never tell Glaber why he's getting benched or what he can be doing to improve. He's just going to become a salty as fuck dude. He's probably going to struggle a ton with stuff like confidence, not knowing why he's not getting playing time right? He's going to start tweaking all of his mechanics, which he might need to do for some things, might not need to do for other things. But the communication of where a player is struggling or where a player is succeeding, like Jonah Hill had with that one guy on the plane where he was like, hey, you're crushing the ball. You're hitting like 650 on on your pitch, which is uh, down and in, but you're hitting like 125 on pitches low and away. Like, That's a really, really important of baseball development. And that's something that in the early scenes, Billy Bean wouldn't have done. He wouldn't have talked to players about anything. And at the end of it, he's trying to really be more involved as uh, a GM to explain to his guys. Why are you on this team? What do we need from you? Why are you here? And what can you contribute to our future success?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, I honestly, can you remember a specific point in the movie when he actively makes that change? Or is it a gradual thing throughout? Because I can't off the top of my head think of, you know, a conversation he has with uh, Peter Brands or anyone else where it's like, okay, I need to start talking to them better. I need to start communicating better.
0: Um, not in particular. I don't, yeah, yeah I, it'd be, it, it's tough to pinpoint. He He does acknowledge the whole, like, uh, when he's talking to the manager for the first time um, about not playing Scott Hederberg, he was like, a little bit facetiously, I think, was like, oh, I'm sorry for not communicating it to you, but we want you to stop playing Pena and start playing Hedberg." And then the manager was like, yo, fuck yourself. Um, and but that was early in yeah. the movie. I don't think that really was was a turning point of any kind.
1: Just a a slight non sequitur. uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Art Howe is, you know, this is definitely one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's less notable characters. Very, But I thought it was perfectly done.
0: Oh, absolutely. He was awesome. It's Mm -hmm. Philip Seymour Hoffman. He was great at everything.
1: Yeah. I miss him so much.
0: (sighs) Yeah. Uh, Real quick, Scott Hatterberg, um, how many career wars?
1: uh 3.4 10 oh good on him
0: seven years in boston four years in oakland three years in cincinnati um and his career ops plus in oakland 99 uh but in 2002 you know the year that this movie takes place in a 116 ops plus hey good on him good on him uh Dwar for that season one might ask Negative 0.1, which honestly ain't even that bad.
1: No, that's actually fairly good.
0: Yeah. It really is.
1: Um, Every time I watch this, I always catch myself looking up Felix Pena's career stats. Um, Good, not great player. You know, one all-star appearance, couple pretty good seasons, nothing very spectacular. So, yeah, it's... It's it's pretty fair that he wanted to give Hatterberg the 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 position over this young superstar like they perceive it in the movie because it really wasn't a huge difference there, even though they make it seem like there is.
0: Yeah, some monster difference. Uh, yeah. Who who do you think won uh, Rookie of the Year that year in the American League
1: in two thousand two? Oh,
0: this is a name you're a hundred percent not going to get
1: uh I yeah i have no idea
0: have you ever heard of eric hinsky Ooh, no yep eric hinsky of toronto got uh 19 first place votes uh second place was rodrigo lopez of baltimore with nine followed Mm. by jorge julio of baltimore (laughs) um great name the only all right names i recognize on this list um carlos pena Mm-hmm. um john lackey
1: okay uh, wow that's a name i've not heard in several years
0: that those are the only two names i kind of know uh then the national league the winner was jason jennings of colorado uh followed by brad wilkerson of montreal um mm-hmm. and then names i recognize literally none of these okay
1: wow great year for uh, rookies
0: yeah right uh in case you're wondering eric hinsky career 7.8 war um he accumulated 1.7 of it his rookie year which is not good <laughs> no um i'm oh, sorry four of it four of it his rookie year so it means if you take the rest of his 11 years in, in major league baseball he managed to accumulate a whopping 3.8 war that's not good that's
1: that's very bad
0: and then Jason Jennings career eleven WAR and John John Lackey, thirty seven point three WAR. He is retired. Anyway, yeah. Side notes. Ah, oh, I love baseball. Uh, do d- d- does watching this movie make you love baseball more?
1: Oh, a hundred percent, one hundred fifty percent. Uh, this very much put me in the baseball mood, and I'm very upset that um, it's really just blue balling me really hard.
0: Uh, I know. It it hurt. Why do you think Brad Pitt was always uh shoving something in his mouth this entire movie?
1: It that's Brad Pitt's in his entire career. He's always eating in these movies. In every movie he's eating something. I don't know why.
0: There's no way that's true.
1: Ocean's eleven, he's always eating something. Like in the Ocean series, he's always eating something. Um Mr. and Mrs. Smith, there's a, a couple scenes with him eating food. Uh dude just loves to eat food on on screen i don't know if it's him doing that or just the director's saying hey brad pitt's fucking sexy when he's fucking moving that jaw around
0: it's it's got it's gotta be the director uh i thought it was cool looking at um the old pitch fx shit for anyone unaware pitch fx is a um is a pitch tracking software that teams still do use um but not nearly as much as other things where you just literally like when you're watching a baseball game you just like put in what you think the pitches are and where you think they went (laughs) and uh then you can use that for some uh, modeling purposes so and there's a scene where jonah hill is watching the game in the replay room or the video room or whatever it is and putting um pitches into a, a thing and that's mm-hmm. uh, an old school version of pitch effects. Um, what do you think about uh, uh, w- if you were Billy Bean, would you have taken the Red Sox offer?
1: Oh, man. Um, Twelve and a half million dollars a year is. Boy, that's a lot of money. Uh, I think it would be hard to turn that down i mean i get why he wanted to stay in oakland and that was just where he was comfortable and where he wanted to succeed but damn it's the red sox it's fenway park it's the freedom to do basically as you please with one of the most storied franchises in the history of baseball um while also making the most money out of any gm in pro sports history I, I don't know how I could have turned that off or down.
0: Uh, what are some scenes you would have liked to have seen in this movie that weren't?
1: Um, Man, Billy Bean eating a dugout hot dog for the first time. Um, so I just before I, I answer that, I found uh, both a 15-minute montage of Brad Pitt eating in movies and a Seattle Times article discussing that exact topic.
0: That's hilarious.
1: Um. But, man, what, what scenes would I have liked to see? Um, I I kind of would have liked to see them in the draft that year just because I'm a draft psychopath, and that's just one of the best things that I could think of doing. I just I, I love drafting. Um, I would have really liked to see how they approach that with their war zone, or war, war room, excuse me. I get why they didn't put it in there because that would be just so outside of the frame of the movie. But it would have been cool to see. Uh, It would have been cool to see them talk about them trying to find value with a bunch of nobodies that other people just don't value. Um, So, yeah. How about you? Uh,
0: I would have loved to see more scenes of Billy Bean arguing with the owner about paying for players or just more money things in general Mm -hmm. i get that that would have a little bit betrayed the purpose of the film which was to show that they can accomplish so much without having access to more money but i feel like more scenes of billy being kind of being aggressive and advocating for his team in that way would have been cool yeah like whether they weren't there
1: when uh man there's a, a couple things to talk about with this scene but when they're At the draft, uh, I'm not sorry, the trade deadline, and they're trying to trade for Rodrigo Rincon. And they need $225,000 to be able to afford him. I couldn't imagine that actually taking place like with a major league franchise. I'm sure it happened with the A's, and that's a reason why they had something like that in there. But that just seems like such a nothing amount of money 20 years later that it's it's crazy to me that they they wouldn't just be able to be like yeah dude this is one of the premier setup guys in all of baseball yeah dude two hundred thousand to be able to get him for fucking nothing hell yeah dude go get it
0: and yet brad pitt had to pay for him himself
1: yeah which that was the other thing i want to talk about like being a general manager of a team and saying I'm going to pay for this player out of my pocket, and I'm keeping every cent of profit when I just send him away next year. Is such a just like big dicking the owner of a franchise? Like fuck you, I can afford this myself, and you are getting none of the rewards.
0: Yeah, that's serious. That, that's, that's some big dick energy right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, then let, let's wrap it up and move on to good time. Any any closing thoughts on? Uh, um... <sighs> Moneyball?
1: Yeah. Um it was just crazy to to me that
0: the title of the movie. What? (laughs) I had to I had to look at my notes for the title of the movie because I just couldn't think of it.
1: Uh what? Good time or (laughs) Moneyball? (laughs) Moneyball. Um Johnny Damon's like record breaking free agent contract that year was for seven (laughs) and a half million dollars AAV. Which just nowadays that's nothing. Fucking nothing. Actually, do we have I'm gonna take a second to look up MLB contracts and see like what kind of player you could get for seven and a half million dollars.
0: Uh Aaron Hicks right now is on a 10 10 years, 70 70 million. So you got an Aaron Hicks.
1: Yeah, but like everyone knows Aaron Hicks is like very much underpaid. Um so guys,
0: uh, I'd say he's accurately paid. He gets hurt a lot and isn't young. Uh
1: Wade Miley is there. Um, I'm looking at guys that are outside of their arbitration years and all that um Corey Kluber is 33 and has a 7.7 million dollar contract Jorge Soler um David Peralta Joaquin Soria, Marco Gonzalez just not a not a ton of superstar names signing major contracts at seven and a half million dollars
0: shocking and that was a prohibitive amount of money
1: um, let's see what I feel like he would be on like the, the, I don't know, like at that time, do you think this would be like a, a Christian Yelich Mookie Betts size contract? Um,
0: uh, for Johnny Damon, to... Johnny Damon was always, uh, but I guess the, the, the tools that were more sought after were a little bit different Just <laughs> things were still valuable then that aren't as valuable now, like
1: maybe like a, like a Bryce Harper almost.
0: Mm, it's tough because his term was so gigantic. Uh, I'll yeah. say maybe a Christian Yelich is closer, just because okay. he makes so much less money than what Mookie Betts will inevitably be making. Right. Yeah, maybe somewhere around there. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Those are those are my thoughts on Moneyball.
0: So you get a a, a recommendation?
1: Oh, hundred percent.
0: Yeah, 100%. I obviously do as well. This is the movie I picked. I love this movie. It's a great baseball movie. It's a great family movie. Oh, he loves his daughter. Oh, uh, yeah. She sang that song. Wasn't that song that-
1: gets stuck in my head every time I watch. Every yeah. time.
0: No, it's a great fucking movie. It's a great fucking movie. I love this movie. Um, Everyone should watch it. Let's move mm-hmm. on to good time. Why don't you cue us up on this one since this was your pick?
1: okay i have no information prep for good time but that's I fine ha, i
0: have it I'll, I, I have it up I'll, 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 <laughs>
1: okay cool I'll, I'll, get,
0: I'll get you going because uh, i wanted to make sure i was prepped and right good times a 2017 film uh by the softy brothers they are the new era of jewish brothers making movies <laughs> uh benny softy and josh softy uh both directed this movie The movie was written by ronald bronstein and josh softy and then uh co-starring Benny Softie. So they each had to take turns. Uh, it mm-hmm. also stars Robert Pattinson and Jennifer Jason Lee also has a mild role in the film. Another notable name that you might see in this is Barhad Abdi, who uh, was the main pirate in Captain Phillips. Um, he has a small role in this as well.
1: I actually have a note mentioning that because it it just completely took me out. I was like, yo, he is the captain now.
0: You, you, you're goddamn right he is uh this is i believe the first full-length feature film from the softy brothers
1: i think so as well
0: um actually heaven knows what apparently was and retracted... daddy long and... oh i didn't even see that one
1: 2009
0: uh, wow okay also this is the first major this is the one that really put yeah. them on the map uh, this is an A24 release, which, as we all know, has been gaining a lot of traction as mm-hmm. of the last four or five years. Um, in fact, due to the success, I believe, of Heaven Knows What, Robert Pattinson actually reached out to the Softy Brothers about making this film, which uh, they wrote for him. Really? Uh, yeah, the Robert Pattinson character, or role, I should say, not character, was written for Robert Pattinson. Um, Impressive and uh yeah why don't you take us through it from there
1: man this so immediately off the top i just felt like okay the softy brothers uh we just watched uncut gems i think we talked about it a little bit maybe not um very very similar feel um just the tension in this was just palpable um I know that was something we privately talked about with Uncut Gems. I don't know if we talked about it on here. Um, But just the tension, you just could cut it with a knife. Uh, It was there for, I want to say like 90% of the movie, it was just overbearing um, their audio, the way they mix this, the music overlaying uh, the dialogue and just the rest of the mix is just, it's overpowering it's so powerful it's unrelenting at points um it's just it's the kind of music that pushes you into your seat uh if that makes any sense it's just it it's just a a heavy blanket on top of you um the shots they use at times are just extremely extremely close extremely in the face of the characters um it really just adds all this together into creating this just tense film that, even if there isn't anything major happening on screen, just the way you know, the consequences to everything that's going on, you're just always on the edge of your seat, you're always feeling like shit could hit the fan at any given second. Um, I think there was only one scene in this entire movie where I was like, okay. They can breathe now. There's room to breathe here. They don't have to be panicking. There doesn't need to be anything freaking out. Um it is just room to breathe. And it gets cut short very quickly. Um, this
0: movie is frenetic. It is pulpy. It is wild.
1: so this is basically follows uh two brothers who uh, botch a bank robbery. Uh, Resulting in the younger brother uh, going to prison, and the older brother Robert Pattinson trying to break him, break him out. Uh, the only problem is that the younger brother is mentally handicapped, mentally disabled. Uh, it's not something that's expressly told in the movie, which is another, you know, Safty brothers trope. There's not a whole lot of narrative to these movies. It's you are cut, put straight into the action. There's not a whole lot of exposition. It is just you're a part of it. You're experiencing it in real time. Uh, and you are just there to feel the emotions that the Safety brothers are trying to make you feel. And man, that is that is what they do. And they do it very well.
0: Uh, I I actually think this movie could have benefited a little bit from a little bit of backstory. I'm not I, saying I agree. it's, it's only because it's so tough to understand the stakes. Mm-hmm. Like I don't mind not knowing that much because it's not really what the movie is about. It's just kind of backdrop for what ends up following through, but it's like the, it, it, it it makes the beginning of the movie kind of weird because it's like, why do they need $65,000? Mm-hmm.
1: It's a very you know, specific number.
0: It's a very specific number. And why does Robert Pattinson need his brother to be there for it?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he's, he's definitely lying to his brother because when his brother goes to prison and he's like cry yelling to their grandmother on the phone he's like you know uh connie told me that we was gonna buy a farm by the forest and i would live free and do whatever i want and like sixty-five thousand dollars is not enough to go buy anything um
1: property wise is that something i missed because i have no answers to any of that information like any of those questions uh that's what i'm saying at the eh? end of the movie like i i i don't know what was supposed to happen I don't even know what the anyone's goal was other than survive essentially
0: yeah because like after you get past the bank robbery part and Robert Pattinson has no money and he like wants to bail out his brother then it's like oh totally I get I get the the chase to like go get that Mountain Dew bottle or Sprite bottle full of acid like totally Mm -hmm. understand that um I don't fully understand the urgency uh I could just uh, you know concerned old that's fair um, but like initial at the very beginning man like straight from the therapist office to the that bank that's pretty quick Uh yeah. but but this movie is um off the rails in like the best kind of
1: way yeah i mean it's definitely i wouldn't say this was my niche of movie i prefer a strong narrative i prefer you know deeper characters with Strong motives and just a clear-cut understanding of what they're after, and if there isn't that, you see that progression through the movie. You know, you see that character growth and whatnot. There really wasn't any of that here. I can't. I can't say any character grows in any way. Um, Maybe you could say that. Uh, Nick, the younger brother, did because he was able to open up at the end, but at the same time, the scenario around that scene is he's opening up in such a a basic way that it's hard to really categorize that as growth, Um, and just from beginning to end of this movie, I just feel like there wasn't any progress made.
0: Uh, yeah, it definitely not in Robert Pattinson's character. He definitely didn't learn a single thing moving through any phase of this. Mm. Um,
1: God, I hated him. I hated that character. I loved Robert Pattinson's performance, but the character, uh, such a piece of shit.
0: Oh, one of my such notes here is um, the biggest crime Robert Pattinson's character commits is ruining his brother's life.
1: Oh my god, it's unbelievable. Uh, I have a note in here where I personally don't mind watching characters, you know, manipulate others for personal gain. Like Breaking Bad, I felt was a really good example of that. I was rooting for Walter White throughout that entire series, even though he's ruining the people around him. But the way Connie just from the first minute in this movie was just manipulating. Everyone around him, for seemingly no major reward just because he wanted to do it and it helps him out in just the most minuscule ways for it just I couldn't, and from the start, I just could not stand this character,
0: oh god, no he he's so mm-hmm. incredibly abrasive in just every single way that he presents himself my so my thing with this movie as a whole is i really really like it tonally and i really like the pacing of it uh for the most part and the general concept of it but i'm pretty nitpicky about the some of the way things were done or presented um it feels like a great stepping stone and i'm so glad that it was made because it led to uncut gems which i think is a even better continuation of this, I think it's even more frenetic, while simultaneously being better narrated.
1: hundred um, percent, I agree with you a hundred percent.
0: Right? Because like my my like like Jennifer Jason Lee being in this movie as Robert Pattinson's uh, girlfriend. I don't know. Girlfriend feels a bit strong. Like like fuck buddy yeah. that he also manipulates for money. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's hard to because jennifer jason lee when this movie was made how old do you think she was
1: oh she looked old in the movie i could totally see her being like 32
0: 55
1: like in real life
0: in real life
1: okay i that makes me feel a lot better because no
0: she's like a, she's like no i don't want to say old in like a, in, in you know because she's not in an like, insulting 50. way
1: yeah.
0: that's old especially because she... this movie was made it's like 35
1: That's she top. looked very old and i'm not really familiar with her outside of the hateful eight so this was the only thing i think i could you know vividly remember seeing her in so i honestly didn't know if it's like all right are they playing her up to be an old woman or what's so going she's on here a child
0: she, she she's acting yeah. like like a like like a 21 year old while she's 55 mm-hmm. and Robert patson was 31 when this movie came out
1: which so. would explain very much why she would be with someone like Robert Pat- Pattinson's character.
0: Uh, yeah, it also makes it feel, it felt like while watching it, um, the Softy brothers are like, oh shit, Jennifer Jason Leigh wants to be in the movie. Where can we fit her in where she has a, a chance to be showcased? Well, there is this one scene we have that features a female person doing something. Perfect. Let's do it. <laughs> um, which I understand, like, from a, fr- fr- from a Softie Brothers perspective where it's like, this is a name brand actress, like, who wants to be in our movie or an equally likely scenario, a name brand actress we can afford for right. a day. Like, she should be in our movie somewhere. Totally get that. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it feels weird because she very much looks like she's in a different movie.
1: Yeah, it just again i think this goes back to what we mentioned earlier where the safety brothers man they just know how to have the most unique characters throughout their film just top to bottom the people that they have playing these roles just seem so tailor fit to what they're trying to visually represent and you know visuals are so far in a way my favorite part of watching you know these kind of movies by these guys because it's just so powerful and just so mesmerizing to watch that the characters are just such an integral part and i think she was perfect she was a perfect fit for this
0: what do you think of uh benny softy
1: um it's it's hard to say you know it's it's one of those things where you're judging a guy on his acting performance when he's playing someone who has a mental handicap and it's hard to when you don't have that firsthand experience or have a limited experience dealing with what that's like it's hard to say but I will say that I enjoyed his character a lot I thought he fit the tone of the movie I thought he fit what I thought he represented the relationship between him and his brother really well and just that kind of dependence and just having an older brother that you just envy and just want to embody and you could tell that was something he was trying to do just make right by his brother in just a the limited way he could and uh, i thought it was a good performance
0: i i actually like benny softy uh, a whole lot in this uh kel actually looked at me and said is he mentally handicapped in real life and i said no he directed the movie <laughs> she was like "Oh, okay." Um, sorry, were you gonna say something? No, no, uh, no. I, I thought I heard uh a... anyway. <laughs> um, the only part of this movie that I think felt out of place was what was his name, Ray?
1: Ray, Ray yeah.
0: talking, telling his whole life story in the back seat of the car. Um,
1: yeah, while
0: the girl was in the White Castle. Because I was very
1: so, sorry. Go ahead, finish.
0: I was gonna say, it, it felt like all it needed to be was, man, my face got busted up by the cops, and I had to because I I was holding, and I I had to to ditch my acid back at that fucking, um, carnival thing, right? Carnival, yeah. uh, yeah. back at like you know, eighty fourth Street or whatever the fuck it was, um, and then, you know, Connie would just be like, oh shit. How much How much are we talking about for that acid? A lot of money. Let's go get it. Instead, it was like a here is my day. <laughs>
1: um. Yeah, that took me out of it so much because it was just such a tonal shift in the movie. And we basically went from, you know, like 45 minutes of no exposition to five minutes of only exposition. And I'll tell you what, just having that five minutes of backstory made me understand Ray and his character and his motives and everything so perfectly that I was like, okay, this guy just woke up from what I assume was a coma or some shit, uh, just being knocked out to, okay, I can roll with this guy. I know what he's about. I know what he's after. These are his motives. This is what he's trying to do, blah, 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 whatever. Let's roll with it. And I just wish that they had more of that. I wish they had more exposition. Yeah, and I either needed
0: more exposition or to get rid of the Ray, um, mm-hmm. exposition. Because you know, it's funny is I've I've seen this movie before, uh, and while rewatching it, I had forgotten that scene entirely.
1: Yeah, this was, was my first like, time.
0: Oh, I was your first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had forgotten that scene entirely, um, because it really is so out of place with yeah. where the rest of the film is going. Um, what do you think about Robert Pattinson making out with a 16-year-old in this movie? I
1: have a... Just in my notes here, I have, what the fuck? What the fuck, I'm so uncomfortable. What the fuck is going on? I'm f- just... I don't want to watch this. This is fucking rape. Which, it it didn't get that far, but... Oh, my God. I don't think I've been that uncomfortable watching a movie in a very long time. That was just so over the top, just how quickly that went from zero to a thousand so quickly. Like, I thought we were going to actually watch them go to town.
0: Oh, yeah. they was heading in that direction, my friend. Yeah. i tell you. Gross. Uh, that, that I think might be the most indicative of like where this movie was at. Um, also, I'll tell you what,
1: that's the point where I realized this movie is in fact not a good time. Very much not a good time. Do you know why it's called good time? I don't. Uh,
0: good time is what people in prison refer to as, uh, getting out early for good behavior.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. He's not getting out of, uh. Uh, prison early. I don't feel like.
0: So, the uh, from from what I've read is that the Softy brothers, in their minds, have a backstory for Connie that includes him getting out of prison early for good behavior, and then and then he does this.
1: Hmm. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. Um. So g- a good. Good time. Do that
1: because of the limited exposition. But.
0: And I I want to say I get it because Connie's breaking the law and shit. Um, but at the same time, it 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 doesn't really show. Yeah, you know, like yeah. if you told me he served prison time, I would go yeah. And if you told me he got out for good behavior, I would go okay. And if you told me he served fifteen years because he's a fucking asshole, I would go ah yes. Like all of these things can be true, and I I none of them really shaped the character in any way. Huh? Cuz he's just an asshole, you know? Yeah, he is okay. he is manipulative, which I guess I can see that aspect of it um because maybe he was just, you know, falsing his or faking his good behavior for an early release, but uh yeah, I don't know uh, he just comes like across like a dick for the yeah, most no part.
1: Kidding. Um he's also a fucking awful criminal. And I just couldn't stop noticing like him doing just the stupidest shit. Constantly getting um, his own way. Yeah. Like um when he's breaking his quote unquote brother out of the hospital, he just destroys the hospital bed, just making a huge ruckus, and then just openly wheels him throughout the hospital, just like it's a miracle he wasn't caught immediately with just all that going on. Um when they're at the amusement park. They never at any point find the money that is the whole point and the whole reason they're there. They just stop looking and go home. Um, when they destroy the hard drive to clear all like the video evidence, there's like, yeah, okay, that really fucked up the hard drive, but there's no way they aren't able to just pull information off that hard drive still. Just like, those were the stuff like I noted in my notes, but there was just so much where it was like, I could see why this guy keeps getting caught. Like, it's just, he's not good at being a criminal.
0: Honestly, even off the jump, he says in his, um, in his letter to the, the note that he slides across the, to the bank teller. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want this bag exploding on me on the way out. Right. Cause we, I paused it and read the note to make sure I wasn't missing any.
1: Really? Yeah. Uh- I just and, saw that he misspelled the word money, and I couldn't focus on anything else.
0: That's hilarious. <laughs> um, but so he's aware that, like, what exactly what happened to him, mm-hmm. what could have happened to him, and still didn't check for that when he probably could have avoided the entirety of all of the negative outcomes of this movie by just checking the bag, mm-hmm. or at the very least throwing in the trunk so it'd explode in the trunk allowing for them to be fine in terms of not having to look through pink paint fumes and crashing the car. Um, also, also, just like
1: him assuming that he could use that clearly ruin money.
0: Yeah, right. But real quick, that actually brings me back to one of my uh, initial questions. Um, mm-hmm. What was the threat? How were they able to rob the bank? I don't get that one.
1: He just said they were armed.
0: But he said it through bulletproof glass
1: so i so i know that it is policy for bank tellers to be trained to just let people take the money just don't put up a fight it's fdic you know insured there's no reason to stop them from taking the money because one they're like 95% likely to be caught because most bank robbers are fucking idiots like yes. we see here and no one's losing any money it's just the government's going to pay that money back. The bank will be reimbursed. It's not a big deal for people to take that money. Which is why, yeah. you know, immediately she's just like, yeah, sure. Have everything in my till. Just take it.
0: I I I figured it would be it, but it still felt kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, those masks were fucking creepy, though.
1: Yeah, that was like really impressive because those are expensive ass masks. Like those are several hundred dollar masks to get ones that are like that. Um, and they just throw them away, which, you know, I get they're criminals and it's the smart thing to do to get rid of that evidence. But again, he left it like a block from the bank with out wiping any of it down. Like all of his DNA is just, his sweat is going to be all over that. Just, yeah
0: burn so many it. little things, just burn it, yeah. <laughs> How would you have felt if, um in the the shirtless Robert Pattinson scene, there was a very obvious gang tattoo. Mm-hmm. And then you can just surmise that he was needing all of this money to get out of a gang or for gang related reasons as as, as like a, a form of intuitive exposition,
1: oh, man. I thought it was just a shitty tattoo.
0: No, how would you feel if that was true?
1: Oh, if that was true, sure. Uh, but at the same time, there's zero supporting evidence. So it's just, it's kind of one of those things where it's like an English teacher being like, oh, the curtains being blue represent the house owner's sadness and desire to break free of his chains. And the writer just being like, yo, the curtains are fucking blue. Like, I could easily see both sides of that. Like, okay, deeper meaning, sure, you can try to surmise that and whatnot, and also just, he's a guy in prison, he has a shitty prison tattoo because he makes shitty life decisions.
0: This is very true. He does make decisions. Uh, What would you say is the main theme of this movie?
1: Don't break the law. I don't know. Uh, I feel like it's more of a... Man, It's hard to say like I want to have it be something about you know family and loyalty respect whatever it may be and just whatnot but I I don't know like I feel like with such little you know exposition and narrative it's really just we're here for entertainment we're here for being able to feel these emotions and tension and it's it's less of a. You know, there's no s- crazy symbolism or motifs or anything like that. But I'm sure there are. It's just I didn't really get any of that from watching it for the first time.
0: I I, I would say there's definitely um, like 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 you said when we very first started to, to talking about the movie the the theme of survival. Um. It is. There's definitely a lot of ideas about you know like protecting your family, but at the same time, those seem to be more so masking the true intention of a lot of Robert Pattinson's actions, which is just to get money. At the same time, he is very desperate to get his brother out of the shit situation he put him in, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, again, still put in that position due to negligence and dereliction of duty and generally not giving a fuck about his brother's well-being over um, his own personal gain. Also in a crime which really didn't need to involve two people, but did for no. some reason.
1: Yeah. I still never got why Nick had to be there at any point.
0: Like that, that That's one of the things I had written down is that this, this is a very urgent movie, but it doesn't always need to be because there was some, a lot of the urgency of the movie is what adds to the whole being of it. Like, I think maybe that could be a theme, just urgency. Um, things needing to happen right then. There's a small gap of time when the cop isn't outside in front of the um, the, the door at the hospital room. That's, that's the only time he's got. If you want to break out your brother, that's the only time you're going to get. But then there's other points in the movie that just didn't need to be urgent. Like him storming into his brother's therapy session to break him out of that to go rob a bank. I mean, a therapy session is going to be what, an hour tops? Like you couldn't wait? Yeah. Like, and they're clearly already into it. You couldn't wait thirty or forty-five minutes? Like,
1: yeah. I like, mean, why? You know. I thought that was a very good introduction to his character.
0: Oh, for uh, sure, it definitely fits the character, but it—it's a weird narrative feel.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think that's part of why this film is just so tense from the start because. You're introduced to Nick, and he is not exactly the most cooperative. And there's a lot of emotions going on in that scene with the therapist. And then, boom, here comes Connie, and everything just gets turned on its head. And just, it's almost like a panic. Like, you you don't know what's going on. You don't know why he's there. You barely know who he is. You don't know their background. It's just, things just kick off immediately. And I think that was just why they did that, was... Yeah, let's just fucking chaos from the start.
0: Fair enough. Um, yeah. Sorry, I was reading. No, that's okay. Uh,
1: I've been doing the same.
0: Yeah, how can he not? As you go through these things, mm-hmm. um, overall impression of the film?
1: Um, I thought it was a good technical film. Um, I mean, I, I love the lighting. I love the visual aspect of it. I said I love the audio of it and just the feel that they were trying to capture. It's just I the movies I like, and I value, I value the visuals. I value the audio, but narrative is always number one for me. Um, and that's just it was very lacking here and it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to fall in love with this movie when it's, it's lacking so much in that category.
0: I, if you're looking for like, um, a nice indie watch, uh, you know, and I -hmm. mean like true indie, rough, rugged, weird, um, highly stylized. This is, this is it. This is a great choice. It's going to be fun. It's definitely going to be fun. Um, it'll be visually entertaining it'll have good acting performances it'll take you to weird places there are like corbin said technically speaking everything everything was was solid um there are definitely holes that i think are just as a result of two younger filmmakers you know like still just kind of getting the reins on doing a lot. You know, they're doing a lot. They're acting, directing, producing, writing. They're doing a lot. Um, and again, knowing what we know now about their follow-up film, Uncut Gems, they really did like fill in a lot of those holes. It's, it's It feels much more like the complete version of this. Uh,
1: is I'm this- so excited for their trajectory. Like what yeah. their trajectory is right now. I am so excited for where they go.
0: Very right here for it. But this, this this is a good movie. Go into it with you know, understanding its limitations, narratively speaking, like we've been saying. But this is a good movie. This is fun. This is a good movie.
1: Um, before we move off it, I just want to bring up... I've just been reading through some of the, the trivia on IMDb. Um, all of like the public shots and scenes in this movie were done like in the mall. That was a mall that was not shut down. None of those patrons were actors. The cops were real, that they hired real cops you know, on the street, all of those people are real. They didn't shut anything down. So this movie has such a real feel to it because they just were like, all right, let's go out in public and do this and get people's real reactions to everything. And I think the, the feel of it, you know, visually and just throughout the movie, just the feel of this movie is just so genuine. And I think that's one of the biggest redeeming qualities for me uh, is just... It feels like we said pulpy earlier. It's such a pulpy movie, and it it just feels so great to watch. Uh,
0: yeah, I, it, it, building on that, I I, uh, n- I believe I'm going to try to make sure I fact check myself a little bit here. Uh, no one, no one had the no one had the script. Um, everyone everyone got a background of who their character was and what they were about. But the only people with scripts were Robert Pattinson and Ben Softy. Um, wow. Yeah, I think Ray also got a script for his like his monologue. Mm-hmm. But that everything else was was just reactions.
1: I really like that. I like that. That's the way they shot this because I think if you have actors that can do this improv and do it well, it makes for a much more genuine movie when you're when it's not such a narratively focused film you can and it's really just just raw emotion and feeling you can get away with having that and it just works really well in this case i love that
0: yeah when a film is done that way and done right it can be very fun Mm -hmm. i liked it um any final thoughts on any either of the things that uh we had for today
1: do you want to give these films ratings?
0: Ooh, okay. Do you want to do a, a number system, a star system? How do you uh, want to the rate them?
1: I would say like out of out of five out of five stars.
0: All right, all right. Where would you put Moneyball?
1: Uh, I would say Moneyball is a four and a half.
0: Ah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Do yeah, it it's
1: it's not perfect, but it's it's about as close as you can be without being that.
0: I firmly agree. And uh, good time. Um.
1: I'll say three and a half stars.
0: I'm going to give it an even three. Because I think, in my mind, if I see a movie, like, if I'm going to go to the movies, and I see a movie that's, that's three out of five stars, I know it's going to be decent.
1: Yeah, I'm just thinking in my head, there's a lot. I think I have to drop it down to a three, just because if we had a larger scope of where I would rank certain movies i think i'd i'd put it closer to a three than a three and a half just because I've, i feel like it's not going to be above a whole lot of movies that you know i still like it but it's, it's at the very bottom tier of that i would watch this movie again list
0: yeah it's 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 good it's the lowest end of good exactly yeah. it's not bad enough to be called mediocre
1: no and you know what for the first I don't want to say premiere, but, like, the first major film, you know, two young brothers direct. That's a fucking hell of a start.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Only good places from here.
1: Oh, no, I, I can't wait.
0: All right. Uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Pod. If you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at juice the numbers at gmail.com. And until Thursday, when we will resume with the stats. Y'all have a good one.
1: Bye.